from that? Like, <laughs> yeah. how many fucking years are they like, they scored 10,000 goals this year? Like, wow, they won the Stanley Cup. They're like, no, they were out in the second round. <laughs> like, how? It's like, oh, because they're losing 9 7. You're like, 9 7? What's <laughs> happening? You're like, oh, if we keep taking centers to wings, you're like, hey, there's other positions on the ice. Someone has to stand between these two sticks and block the puck. And then other guys have to help prevent it from going in. It's like, It is episode 151 of Left Side Heavy, the podcast presented by Blue Wire. It's your boys, Hayden and Jevin, and we are joined by good, great friend of the show, Johnny Sousa, making his return to the Left Side Heavy podcast. Future Aaron Rodgers lover of the Raiders, because that's happening, right? After his darkness retreat. Johnny, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I haven't been on the show in forever and right out of the gate. You got to hit me with that. (laughs) Well, this guy's already very sad about the football TV loves. (laughs) Would you like an old man who's gone crazy? You're like, I guess. Everyone else was saying we were getting Tom Brady. I'm like, I'll take this one over. I'm like, (laughs) I'll take this Um, old and abused number 12. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, in a perfect world, uh, I would like a younger and better quarterback. Uh, no offense. I, I, I was a big, like, obviously, with Corey. Like, I love the Packers. It's my mom's team. It's the first team I watched. So, like, I always root for them. And I was a big Aaron Rodgers fan, especially as a player. Like, he's, he's incredible. But I will say the last few years of Aaron Rodgers, like, I might not be uh, as enamored with, so I don't really want this iteration of him. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping he just stays put or, you know, go somewhere else. Yeah, Jets. They're always sure. like, <laughs> they're always weird. So, like, it's perfect for him. That would be hilarious if he did, like, literally followed Brett Favre's footsteps, like, went to the Jets, ends up in Minnesota. You're just like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it is like. It is really weird of him, though. Is like he's waiting on the whole Devonte Adams thing, goes crazy on whether or not he's going to retire, go to Jeopardy, whatever. Signs a fat contract, and then a year later, goes into like Donald's home back in Newfoundland or some shit, <laughs> and then, and now he might retire after signing fifty mil a year. It's like I am so lost. I want this. He's the definition of never let him know what your next move is. I oh. never know what Rogers is going to do. And Rogers is an enigma too, because like obviously we've already totally sidetracked the pod into Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers back in the day was like everyone was like he's really smart. Like you listen to him speak, and you're like he's an intelligent guy. He went on Jeopardy and like killed it. You're like oh, that was interesting. And then like the first weird thing was like all the stuff with his family. It's like. He's mm-hmm. a bad relationship with his family. It's kind of weird. He was weird with answers he'd give. You're like, whatever. I actually started to get kind of like, oh, what's going on when uh, he was dating Danica Patrick? Yeah, that was, I remember that. Because 
she went on Joe Rogan's podcast and I remember I listened to some clips of it. And at one point she was talking about like collecting rainwater under a full moon. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was like full crystal mommy stuff. And I'm like, Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, this is, and then since he's like, yeah, you know, like he, I listened to him on two separate podcasts. He's talking about how like, you know, he went to somewhere when he was recovering and like, I think it was Italy. He went to like a some ancient ruin place and did like sound medit. I was like, wow, Aaron Rodgers is wild now. I don't know what brought this on, but any man who can admit that he's literally just taking hallucinogens and have no repercussion, this guy's uh this guy knows some people. This guy's the league <laughs> oh. by the balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. It, 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 but it, it it opens like an interesting thing where you're like, because pot was such like a hot button, button issue in sports, right? Like guys getting suspended and like a lot of people, myself specifically was like, that's fucking stupid. Like these guys are doing steroids. We're mad. They're smoking a joint to like relax after the game. You're like, who cares? When you start getting into drugs, you're like, okay, what's performance enhancing? What isn't? And you're like, you know. I can't imagine if a guy took magic mushrooms before an NFL game, it's helping him much. So you're like, I don't really care. And yeah. I guess the the cost of it is your quarterback might get a little squirrely on you and start saying some weird stuff. And you're like, what are you doing? He's like, hey, I hurt my knees. So I sit in the dark now. They're like, oh, you should see a doctor probably. <laughs> I hurt my knee, so I sit in the dark now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Holy fuck. That, that's fucking good. All right. Enough of Aaron Rodgers talk. We'll talk yes. about that when he finally makes a fucking decision on what he's doing. But, boys, it was uh, obviously the trade deadline is looming. Um, it's this Friday. Um, and we've had a few trades um, coming up to today and like this past weekend. But a lot of it was still like kind of speculation on where the big fish were going to go, like Timo Meyer, Patty Kane, Eric Carlson, still the name floating around, Jacob Chikrin, um, Gavrikov out of Columbus. Like there's still a f- few names that were still kind of swirling around. But all of a sudden, over the past 72 hours, just bombs have been dropped. And uh, we're going to start with the latest one. Because, like we were saying before we started recording, everything seems to happen the day after me and Hayden record an episode. And we were heavily thinking about, should we record Monday? Because obviously we're recording Tuesday night. Should we record Monday? Because we don't know if Tuesday will work. Well, lo and behold, Tuesday morning, Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff announces that a trade has been finished. It just needs to, at least, like, all the paperwork needs to go through. For Patrick Kane, Chicago... Blackhawks legend on his way to the New York Rangers. And I immediately text Hayden, aren't you glad that we're recording tonight? <laughs> we didn't do last night because that would have been an absolutely absolute travesty. I would have had to bring either both of you guys back on or Hayden back on and been like, no, we have to talk about this tonight. But Patrick Kane is going to Chicago. Uh, no, is going to New York um, for a conditional second round pick this year and a fourth round pick in 2025 plus a couple of prospects uh chicago's retaining 50 percent of kane's salary this year and arizona is the third broker in this deal 
Um, they're retaining 25% of Kane's salary this year for a third-round pick in 2025. And the condition on the pick is if the Rangers go to the conference finals this year, then it is it turns into a first-round pick in either 2024 mm. or 2025. And the, if the, the 2024 first-round pick is top 10 protected, so if they get into the top 10 of the draft, then the first goes to 2025. There is so much in just around that pick. It's insane. But Patrick Kane rejoices with his former teammate, Artemi Panarin, back in the Chicago days. Boys, this is actually, and this is massive. This is one of the be- biggest deadlines. And from what I can remember, it's not even the deadline yet. But Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers. Hayden, I'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts with with this move? Finally. Finally, some clarity with Kane. Because, yeah. like, that's all my feed was, was just, oh, Patrick Kane hasn't done this. He hasn't done that. Oh, he's interested. It's like, just fucking do something, man. <laughs> yeah. You're like the Odell of this year. Yeah. Holy fuck, make a decision. And now that, you know, this is done, like you said last week, it's going to be weird to see him in a different uniform, but I'm excited to see him in the red, white, and blue. Yeah. You know, like at least the ultra blue and uh, the red and obviously the white, white. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Johnny, what, what were your thoughts on the initial, on the trade itself? Well, we should probably let the listeners know I'm putting on my casual cap right now is... Uh, <laughs> There was a long period of my life where I obsessively watched the San Jose Sharks and the Vancouver Canucks, the two teams I like. Uh, but time has killed my joy for things because everything I love sports team wise lets me down every season and I'm sad. Uh, so I fell like I, I still keep up like I'll watch games here and there. And obviously when like crazy stuff like this goes on you can't like if you like sports like not see it or be aware of it i have to laugh because like the cane stuff as i would see it i'm like this guy's like this is like the fucking bachelor i'm like every time i read something it's like ooh, ooh, he might be interesting and it's like he doesn't like you though and i was like <laughs> holy shit like i i guess for me it's always like one i had to go and check i'm like is patrick kane still really good so I'm like, I don't watch Chicago. Yeah. I know they're not. So I'm yeah. like, he's still good. I'm like, I was like, yeah, all right. He's Patrick Kane. He's still pretty good. Yeah. And then the Rangers are quite good. So looking at it, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I think it's a good fit. Like you touched on, like, I love the bread man. I think he's like great nickname, great player. So I'm like, that's a fun connection. I have to say, again, casual speaking. So I don't know. With so many stipulations for this to really aid the other two teams, I feel like they didn't get a great deal potentially. Like if Kane goes over there and they underperform, like what are they walking away with, really? So like the, additional the, second. <laughs> so the difficult part, the difficult part about this is that Kane, it would it wasn't really smart for Chicago to keep him, other than maybe jersey sales or to bring yeah. in money for people to watch him. This was a year they finally get off that contract. We're going to trade you to a contender. Go try and win, and maybe you'll come back on a cheaper deal in the summer, whatever. It was smart for them to trade him. But he only wanted to go to the Rangers. 
Yeah. So they didn't have a lot of leverage in the deal. And Which I hate. Like, I, I'm a big advocate of, like, these guys get, you know, finite amounts of time to play and they're putting their bodies at risk. I'm a big advocate for, like, yeah, get your money, play where you want to play. Like, I, I usually support the players there. It is a little annoying when they, like, strap you so hard for options as a team because then once that's out there, it's like, at best, you walk away with something, right? Like this, where you're like, all right, well, we got maybe uh yeah. okay pick and then another pick. And then, yeah. like, some bad prospects. <laughs> yeah, so it's, like, it's very hard. Chicago's in a tough spot because they're like, well, like, it's... We want to try and get something for him, but since the Rangers already traded for Tarasenko a week before... Rangers used a lot of their assets on him and couldn't really give Chicago a ton for Kane. And Kane's aging a bit more. They have to take on a bit more money. I think there's a lot of moving parts, and Kane kind of strapped Chicago down. Like, didn't really give him a lot of leverage in the trade. It's almost like when Kessler left the Canucks, he gave them two teams that he wants to go to, and he wants to get out. And you're not going to keep a player that doesn't want to be here. So Vancouver obviously couldn't get the best deal possible for the peak of Kessler because they only gave him two teams. And if the other team's not interested, then you're like, well, I guess we'll take Nick Bonino and something else. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that so well. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, it's tough. And I think Chicago for, for what it is, I don't think it's terrible. Um, I don't think they were going to get a ton for him anyway. Uh, Cause he's like a black hole on defense. He doesn't really give a shit about that part of his mm-hmm. game. I mean, it's still Patrick Kane is one of, if not the greatest American born player of all time. And he's immediately going to make any team better, but it's just, it's, they were kind of handcuffed really. I love statements like that because for our generation, we're like, you know, like, the, and if like, Someone your dad's age knew what a podcast was and heard the back. Like, there was a guy in 1941 when you're like, okay, I'm sure that guy was fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm sure he'd look like shit at modern with modern players. No offense. Yeah, no. So I think the deal itself, it's gonna, I'm really excited to see what he does with New York. Definitely. They're a fun team too, anyways. Like they've got a yeah. lot of fun pieces on there. And I mean the East this year is just like absurd. Oh my God. Like it's going to be such a fucking, fucking dogfight over there. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like as an NBA fan, I remember those years, like especially as a Blazers fan, where like you go back four years, three, four years, like the West getting to the playoffs was a fucking dogfight. It was so stacked. You know, you're looking at the eight seated team and you're like, that would be the second seated team in the East. Yeah. It was that good. You know, they would just, everyone would take their Eastern seaboard trip, dunk on all those losers. Like, thanks, Brooklyn. Like, we'll be good one day. You're like, okay. And then everyone's going to leave. You'll see. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. The only thing that I worry about slightly for this trade for New York is they got a ton of skill. Do they have the playoff players? Because playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. You need to get heavier. You need to get more physical. Rangers have all the skill in the fucking world. Do they have the playoff tenacity to like not be pushed around? That's the one thing I like think about in this. But other than that, I'm excited to see how they do. That's one of the, like for a team sport. That's one of the most fascinating things to me is like 
you can look at teams on paper and be like, who the fuck is going to beat this team? And then they get in the playoffs and then it's just like, oh, like there's this whole other element you can't really measure or assess. That's just like, you know, there's like guys who are just like, they're different players when the playoffs are on and their role players step it up. And then you get teams like, wow, the Nets, like Kyrie, Katie, you're like, that's a guaranteed championship. And it was like, nope. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You're right. There's no team with three better players. It didn't matter. You know, you go up against these teams that are so well built and so deep. And it's like, well, guess what? Those players, they got to stop playing for a while. We got so-and-so coming in and -and so-and-so off the bench. It's just like, oh shit. I mean, like the Rangers are incredibly deep. Like they have like a, such a good top nine. Their, their first and third line hasn't changed. And so yeah. you get to keep those t- together. Like the kid line of Lafreniere, Hedl, and Kako. They're th- them three alone, not the greatest, but they play well together in a third line role. And you just throw in Kane and Tarasenko within the top six. And like your chemistry doesn't get damaged that much. And you did it ahead of the deadline. And I just they're going to be unbelievable. It's just a matter of like, can they hang with any of the big boys in terms of when playoff hockey gets like massively intensified, like Carolina, Boston, those are Tampa. Like those are three heavy teams that like New York might have to go into. And it's not going to be easy no matter how much skill you have. That's how I felt looking at what the Leafs have done, where I'm like, damn, like the Leafs look deep as fuck. And then you're like, are they going to be able to beat the lightning round one? Because that's what they might be facing. You know, it's like, it's great and all, but it's like, there's poison pill matchups for teams. There's so much like more to it than that. And there's also like, you know, you just pray when you're making these moves, like, especially for older guys, you're like, for the love of God, don't get hurt. Yeah, you know, no, 100%. It's scary, but um, huge trade. Uh, Hayden, I'm gonna go to you with this one first. Timo Meyer to the Devils. Um, Timo Meyer was on call it, yeah, you did not at all. Damn, um, did you or did you say he was going to Carolina? No, I I said, well, I like the most recent one, I said chicken was gonna happen first, but oh, chicken still. I don't know, wasted. But I think I said, yeah, I think I did say Timo to the Devils. Yeah, I think you said Timo to the Devils, but it seemed like um, the most likely spot. And now, like, the Devils are stacked. Yeah, they're fucking so good. (laughs) Like, they're so young. So it's going to be really interesting to see them come playoff time. But if they sign Timo Meyer after this year, bro, the Devils are going to be fucking nasty the next couple years. (laughs) Yeah, no, I. Let's run through the trade quickly. Um, so along with Timo Meyer is four prospects along with Scott Harrington, who is a bit of a solidified NHL, but they immediately put him on waivers and then got picked up by Anaheim. So it was almost like a three-team trade. Anaheim mm-hmm. was in there and scooped Harrington up. Yeah, Harrington up. And the Devils also got a fifth in 2024. And going back to the Sharks is forward Fabian, Zud- Fabian Zetterlund, uh, Andreas Janssen, Shakir Makamadulan, and Nikita Ochotuk. 
I'm not too sure if I'm pronouncing that right, <laughs> but it's a it's names that aren't from I think they're all European. I'm gonna assume, but they also got a 2023 conditional first and a conditional 2024 second and a 2024 seventh. Um, I think this is a massive W for the Devils. Um, they got a 26 year old power forward, um, in Timo Meyer who can get you 70 points, and you have the cap space to do it. Um, a lot, and you got a draft pick as well. Who knows how much a 2020 for fifth round pick is worth but you still got some capital coming back and you didn't give up any of your big fish like luke hughes simon nemec um uh dawson mercer um alex holtz like those are their top four prospects and they held on to all of those for a guy like timo meyer i think this is a massive w and obviously nothing is guaranteed you never know how prospects are exactly going to turn out these guys could all become all-stars and next thing you know, Timo Meyer doesn't clip 50 points, right? You can always play the what if game, but on the face of it, I think this is heavily favored towards the devils. Um, Sharks fans might play themselves into thinking that it's not as bad as it looks. Um, wow. shout, shout out to Scott Ani. Yeah. I was about to say Scott might be crying alone but, tonight, but I've talked to Scott and he says he's not, he doesn't feel too bad about it. He's still like excited for what the Sharks got. But I think like the Devils are walking away with this with the biggest smile on their face. Um, so Hayden, um, I don't know if you want to continue going into this or Johnny, if you uh if you want to give your uh, quick opinion on all, this. Yeah, I want to give my opinion. I just said the Sharks were my first team or my favorite team. <laughs> and you're coming out here. You come out the gates with Aaron Rodgers, slander to the Raiders. <laughs> Tell me my team's a bunch of losers. And they wonder why I don't come on this podcast. <laughs> like, well, everyone who likes the losers, so are you. I bring so you on every those fights. <laughs> I bring you on every three years when McGregor fights. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That is the inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> my UFC if guy. Got in a, I've been joking with Corey. If Connor would just sucker punch someone at like a strip club, I would have been on the podcast <laughs> way that's, sooner. It's like I'm a UFC uh, uh, Johnny on. I'm not. Yeah, UFC can you break guy. this footage down for me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. You I see mean, when he slaps this waitress, <laughs> his 80 year old uh, man on the street. Yeah, that was a tough one. I mean, I'm sad. Uh, I the Sharks team that like you know, made the playoffs and went to the cup. Like, I loved that team. Brent Burns, Big Joe, Little Joe. Like, I, I was such a fan. I mean, even when we got Carlson, I always loved Carlson. Like, he's a great guy. And Timo Meyer really became one of my favorite players to watch on the team. Like, he's just a ball of energy. He's so talented. I knew this was very likely. I'm in the Sharks subreddit quite a bit. So I knew, like, you know, we're back. And, like, we're not in a good spot either. So when I saw it, I was pretty choked. So I'm like, fuck. I'm like, who the fuck are these people? Yeah. Uh, but Jevin touched on a very valuable thing in sports, which is never doubt delusion. And when you need to believe, you can convince yourself. So I'm calling it now. These are red hot pros. Okay. <laughs> You're looking at future Hall of Famers, all of them, <laughs> literally. And I foresee probably 
I think comfortably we win three out of the next five Stanley Cups five years down the road. <laughs> Call it now. Let's lock it in. Uh, no, Start, I have no idea. Starting 2028, we are going on a run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone clipped this. It's like, it sucks that both <laughs> the Canucks and Sharks suck. Because I'm just like, oh, like I don't really want to watch either of you. Like, and then the games I like, I'll tune into a random Canucks game just to be like, ah, whatever. I got nothing to do. I'll throw it on. And then we win, and I'm like, I don't want this either. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you accept a point in the season. You're like, just play well, but lose. You yeah, idiots. yeah. So like, no, we had to have that one. Like, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, fucking last night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were like, what are you doing? Going toe-to-toe with Dallas, who is like one of the hottest goalies, and then all of a sudden we win. And it's like, Kuzmenko, what the fuck are you doing? Man? <laughs> We're supposed to be tanking. Sharks are? It's like... I... Before TV, yeah. I think yeah. now, yeah. Yeah, because like in the wake of that, like that's such a giant offensive contributor to a team that's pretty poor offensively. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough. Whatever. At the end of the day, we still have some of the best jerseys in the game. So suck it. Other loser fan bases don't have to wear ugly ones. At least the Raiders. I was like, at least my team's stuff looks cool, even if they're <laughs> yeah, bad yeah. in it. <laughs> it's so simple, but it's so fucking hard. Love oh, it. And it's iconic right like when i was a kid i picked the sharks because like any child they had a shark they had a shark teal looked awesome i was like that's my team (laughs) the raider it's like oh my god i like pirates too yeah well i think silver and black just looked awesome yeah i was like that looks kind of cool and scary and then as i learned (laughs) about the raiders i was like oh they were like the gangsters of the nfl for a long time where it's like everyone has a rival and everyone's rivals, the Raiders. Like everyone hated us. It's like that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were, the Raiders and the Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For yeah. very different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Cowboys, it's like, man, they're really good. It's like the Raiders, it's like they just cheat and assault everybody. You're like, yeah. <laughs> All the way to three Super Bowls, baby. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Um, so uh yeah, I, I like the trade for the Devils. Uh, who knows what comes for San Jose. Um, Hayden, overall, were you um, underwhelmed, overwhelmed, just about right with the return that the Devils got for, or the Sharks got oh, for Timo? I was like, oh, for the return for the Devils? Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, the like you said, they could become anything. You never doubt, you know, what's the unknown. Uh, and like Johnny said, I'm I'm betting on the Sharks now, five years down the road. Call it. Yeah. Yeah, I said that, and my internet cut out as soon as I finished my sentence, and both of you were just looking at me, and I thought I said the most (laughs) dead joke of all time, but my computer froze, and I was like, oh, this hurts. (laughs) I'm telling you, if the Sharks win the Stanley Cup five years from now, you gentlemen are getting... San Jose Sharks tattoos. I want that clipped. I want that sent back to you. They'll be like, that guy was a fucking prophet. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Johnny Sousa or Jesus Christ? Pretty yeah. close. <laughs> Pretty close. 
um we're gonna go to another trade um the strongest team only got stronger uh the boston bruins um trade for defensive defenseman dimitri orlov and forward garnett hathaway um from the capitals for craig smith a 2023 first a 2024 third and a 2025 second um they retain 50 percent of orlov's um salary for this year and the wild chipped in as a broker uh retained 25 percent of his salary for a fifth round pick from boston and then wild also sent over andre uh svet svetlikov um he's a forward i don't know much too too much about him but i think boston they didn't need to do anything massive because in my opinion i wouldn't want to fuck up too much of what they have going on um, on pace to break the single season record for wins and points. So it's like you don't really want to ruin that too much. But I think this move just makes them deeper to a point where it's like they just get a little bit more solid on the third line. And they're you can never have too many D-men. And I think Orlov is great both ways, which just only helps Boston. They have McFoy, Lindholm already. And I just think Orlov just sprinkles a little bit of more electricity into that decor. So I love this trade for Boston. Um, I think I love it for Washington as well. Um, I think it's totally fair for them to kind of sell this year after half their fucking team was hurt this year. And mm-hmm. Backstrom, Carlson, um, we've had some goaltending injuries. Ovechkin had to leave for a few days because of the unfortunate passing of his father. So, like, it's just been a season from hell from Washington, so this gives them a chance to kind of sell high on some players. Maybe Orlov resigns, and then um, you can maybe try and load up um, on a run for next year. But, Johnny, what were your uh, initial thoughts on the Bees just kind of strengthening their lineup, not necessarily with a star, but just with depth? Oh, man. I mean, if you want to talk, like, if anyone needed video evidence of how I could never be an unbiased, like, sports person, this is it. Because I fucking hate the Boston Bruins. I was absolutely choked seeing this. I'm like, fuck you. I'm like, fucking dickheads. Your team's so good already. And they're like, oh, what about if we had these guys? Like, why? Like, this is fucking... Like, I've never rooted for a house to burn down more. Or I'm like, I hope this goes so poorly. Like, yeah. And that's not even like obviously being a Canucks fan here we all collectively hate Boston because it's like people are like oh well they beat you and you're like it wasn't just that they beat us they were fucking scumbags yeah. like the way they played that whole year there's big bully douchebags like the Boston people are kind of like eh with that accent and you're like it's just so <laughs> fitting I was like fuck this team <laughs> and I've wanted to just like ignore that <laughs> like the fact as long as Brad Marchand is there, I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> You're amazing. Your team's good. I can like be unbiased in like recognizing how great they are, but like I genuinely hate them. And this is a trade where it's like, I think you kind of nailed it. Like for Boston, it's like, holy shit, why? But okay, great. Obviously, like, how do you look at it? You're like, that was really dumb. You're like, no, that's pretty good for them. And yeah. for Washington, it's like, yeah, man, look at what's happened. Like, yeah. the car is on fire. Can you imagine? They're like, get in. No, we're getting this guy in. Like, <laughs> like, no, like, whoever wants to run out, let him go. Gather what you can and, yeah, reset. Like, 
Ovechkin's going to be like 49 years old, sitting in his fucking <laughs> little office there, still chipping in 25. So it's like, you're fine. He'll let him hang around. But uh, yeah, good for them, I guess. Yeah. Ed? Uh, it, Johnny put it all into like what you could really just define the situation as. And yeah, Boston gets stronger. Uh, they lose a little bit of like, I guess, kind of structure. But I mean, I feel like they grew that anyways. And these pieces are just going to fit the puzzle, you know, even more perfectly. Yeah. And yeah, good luck. Good luck to anyone in the East. Like, <laughs> can I it's ask like- you guys, you guys know way more about hockey than me. Looking at the teams in the East, who do you think? We get Eastern Conference. Who is the one team you look that has the right matchups you think could beat this iteration of the Bruins? Toronto or Tampa. And like and betting would... on Toronto is the hardest thing to do, but after like after this this offseason, like they finally maybe committed to doing and selling. I know we'll talk about it, but like Tampa, you can't count out Tampa because it's like counting out fucking Tom Brady. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They're just always in the playoffs. They're a tough playoff team. But Toronto is like it, the firepower they have now and the defensive game. Like they don't need the best goaltender. They yeah. just need to out muscle. And even if anyone's like watching the game tonight, Calgary versus Boston, Calgary doesn't isn't good at putting pucks in the net, but Calgary's very good at limiting Boston's chances. Boston has two goals on 11 shots and Calgary has a goal on 42 shots. Wow. So, so you just limit them and maybe get some goal scorers. Like it could easily be three, two right now for Calgary. If they had anyone that could score. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what Toronto could do. Yeah, uh, the thing about Toronto is goaltending, though, because, like, no matter what happens with defense, it's like if you can't get a solid backing, then nothing else really matters. And Samsonov is good as himself, but if you don't have Matt Murray healthy enough to back him up along the road, then it's going to be hard to find consistency. So that's the only thing that worries me about Toronto, but I do think like at some point they do have to break that first round curse. And if and if it were to happen any year, this is it because this might be the weakest iteration of a Tampa team we've seen in the past five years. Uh, but they're still not weak whatsoever. Cause like Braden points on pace for 50 goals. Vasilevsky is still him, and Sergachev has like come to the same level as Hedman. What, I mean, like, Hedman's gone down a bit this year, but it only means that Sergachev is developing even more into a number one defenseman, which is scary in itself. And they're always physical. They're always a playoff team. I think Carolina always brings it, and I still think they got one more big move left in the bank. Please mm-hmm. be JT Miller. That would make me <laughs> so happy. But Carolina's coaching Rod the Bod, Brendamore. I think the way he put that... He coaches that team. It's like they make it really hard to lose. Um, so I, I think Carolina, and I honestly think like New York is going to go on a run this year. Um, last year they overexceeded. 
going to the Eastern Conference Finals, but now it's like it's Stanley Cup final or bust now, it seems, or Eastern Conference final or bust. Like they've raised that expectation that much. And I think New York has it on all levels. They have really good defense. They have one of the best goalies in the world. And you just, we've talked about what they did with that offensive core. So it's so hard to pick one team that can beat Boston because we've rattled off five and we haven't really come to a conclusive answer yet. So it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be really hard. And honestly, playoff hockey for sports, like team sports is probably pound for pound, like the best playoff sports to watch. And the fact that this year it's like, listen, you might not have a dog in the race. Every Eastern Conference series, right? Like every Eastern series over there is going to feel like they're like, you know, a win away from the cup. Because like the teams are so stacked. There's so much on the line and so many have made big swings and investments. And it's like when the stakes are that high, it's like I'm just genuinely fired up to just whatever the game is, just to know in the evenings I'm going to have like, some fucking like crazy tense hockey to watch. It's gonna be yeah. fun. Yeah, it's uh it's gonna be really exciting. Um speaking of Tampa, we're gonna go to them right now. Um they uh they acquired forward Tanner Janot from the Nashville Predators for defenseman Cal Foot, uh a conditional 2025 first, uh 2024 second, and um a third, fourth, and fifth round pick in 2023. Um, it's a fucking lot for a guy who has 15 points in 49 games this year. Um, what I tried to think is that, as we said, Tampa's a very heavy team. They're physical when it comes to the playoffs, and Tanner Juno is just that. Uh, last year, I think in his rookie year, he got 42 points in 59 games and he had 130 penalty minutes and a lot of those were fights. So he's a physical power forward. He's having a r- terrible year this year. But Breezebois came out and said that he doesn't really value the picks that he gave up to be high and he thinks trading for Janot and signing him cheap and long term is going to be a lot better bang for buck for them. So. It's really hard to go against a masterclass like Brisebois, who's almost won every single fucking trade that he's done. A lot of people harped on his Hagel trade, who gave up two first-round picks for him and stuff like that. But next thing you know, Hagel's point per game this year, and he's lighting it up with Point, Stamkos, um, Kucherov. Like he's doing really good. So I I want to give Nashville the win because I think they got so much capital for a good retool. Um, I still think they're going to win this no matter what, but it's, I can't give Tampa an F on this because of his history and trades. And I just know that he's somehow going to become a point per game player with this. Um, but Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go with you to this. Um, it seems very lopsided as I've mentioned, but what are your thoughts on this, uh, trade for Tampa and Nashville? Uh, yeah, honestly, I think it is lopsided. And I think you have to look at the lens that says it's lopsided. Um, Tampa's just giving up a piece where they'll know this guy is physical. They know that this guy is maybe not an all-star, but a star in his own way of like, if someone goes after Stamkos, Janot's coming after whoever went after Stamkos. 
and that's no question about it. So it's going to just be almost like Janot is going to be the goon, I feel, or like someone to just not fuck around with. And honestly, kind of gives me some sort of like Nick Paul vibe where he'll just come in and score like the most random game winning goal. Yeah, like that game seven against Toronto, you had exactly. two goals and they won two one. It's like exactly, third... yeah. So that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot left to go, and if he picks it up, then it's gonna look like an absolute win for both teams. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Nashville wanted two first, but obviously I don't think Tampa wanted to I'd... do that, so they just no. gave him more. Uh, like quantity over quality, I guess. Mm-hmm. And said, so we'll give you five picks scattered throughout first to fifth and a player instead of multiple firsts and something else. So, Johnny, what are your kind of thoughts on maybe, I, I would say buy low on a forward, on a young forward who's in a bad year, but they did kind of the fucking opposite. <laughs> they overpaid for a player who's doing bad, but he's a young guy who can be signed long-term for cheap. Um, Again... What are your thoughts Cas- on that? Casual cap? I don't even... I've never heard this guy's name before. The whole time you were saying it, I was just thinking of, like, puns about how, like, did you know that Hayden's been called a natural <laughs> predator as well? Like, I was just like... Because I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. And then you're talking, I was like, 15 points. I'm like, oof. Yeah. Dude, what he sounds like is... Every time I hear someone described like this, I just think of, like, Milan Lucic, like, guys like that, where it's like... I guess if you give everything right and they have the kind of like synergy to work with, they click with the right guys. They can like do both or they can be like solid offensive contributors, but also like primary, a big role is like they're a bull out there. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to make sure nobody's fucking around. If they got to like, you know, put a big hit on somebody, keep players honest. It's like, that's what they're out there for. I'm never crazy about like spending a ton on guys like that. I like those guys. Like, when Rafi Torres was on our team, I love Rafi Torres. Oh. When you're playing against him, I hate Rafi Torres. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was like Chris Pronger. It's like if Chris Pronger was a Canuck, I'd be like, hell yeah. But watching Chris Pronger, I'm like, God, what a piece of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, it's complicated. But that sounds to me, again, very casual. I'm like, that sounds crazy. But I think you nailed the more interesting angle, which is look at the track record of the guy making the deal. If you're that fan base and you're fucking sitting there like shaking your fist at the TV, like this guy's giving you more than enough reason. Trust the process. See what happens. For all you know, like Hayden said, if you're sitting here like a month and a half from now and Buddy's already got like 15 points in that. You know what I mean? Like if all of a sudden it's just like clicking, they're going to be like, holy shit, he's a genius. So it's like. I try not to, when it's my teams, when they do stuff like this, I really try to not react too strongly because you're always like, let's see. Yeah. No, that being 100%. said, you know, again, all the teams are like are bad. So and it's a lot of let seeing to be like, oh yeah, this was bad. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like the guy they traded for is 23 years old. So if they sign mm-hmm. him to like an eight year $20 million deal or whatever, and he's making like just over $2 million a year. Then it's like by the time it hits his fourth year and he's like a consistent 60 point guy and he's only on for $2 million, you're almost kind of buying <laughs> low on him off a bad year. Mm-hmm. And it's like a weird, it's like you're overpaying to buy low on a guy where it's like 
you're coming off the point of like winning multiple cups with like Stamkos, Kucherov. They're kind of aging a bit. So you're kind of bringing in this young guy who's tough and just a piece of shit to play against. It's like, it's almost like you're buying like a draft pick almost, right? But he's already NHL proven. So I see it from both sides. That's why it's probably not as much of a lopsided win as it seems to be. Is because he's almost he was almost a point per game in his rookie year. He's just having a really bad year this year. So you might find that again if you kind of put him with Nick Paul or Braden Point or some shit like that. If you put him with playmakers, you might get back to that. And he's and not so not to mention Jeff older teams like that. You bring in a young guy with a ton of energy. It could be a shot in the arm sometimes. Exactly. It's like buying. It's like getting a puppy when your dog's aging. It's like you bring yeah. the puppy side out of them again, right? So Stamkos, Kucherov, they might get a bit quicker because they got to keep up with the young buck. And Hayden... Oh, I thought you meant, like, the fan base will be happy because they've got, like, hey, look, this new young guy, he's fun. And they have to, like, put Stamkos down in two years because they're like, how old is he? (laughs) (laughs) We had some good times, you and me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking from the player side, but the fan base side, too. Yeah, I agree with it. You know, again, like, the guy's so young, you're like... Who knows ceilings like that? It's like I'm much more like schooled on the NFL than the NHL, but this parallel happens in that sport a lot where it's like, how many times do you see guys have a bad year and everyone kind of give up? And then it was like, oh, that's all it was. But you also see the inverse of that, right? Sometimes where a guy has a bad year and never gets it back. Yeah. You're just like, oh, that was weird. Instead, yeah. you're just a player who had like two good seasons. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's it's a high risk for sure, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to uh Edmonton trade, um probably one of the bigger trades of the day besides Patty Kane, of course. Um, the Edmonton Oilers acquired uh defenseman Matisse Ekholm and a sixth round pick in twenty twenty four from the Nashville Predators in exchange for defenseman Tyson Berry, forward Reed Schaefer, a first round pick in twenty twenty three, and a fourth round pick in twenty twenty four. Nashville's retaining. Four percent of his yeah, contract. What? I thought that was a fucking um, mistype right there. Because he is signed through 2026. So it's a few years you're gonna have to retain salary, and maybe Edmonton mm. just need to get underneath a certain number. So it's like, hey, instead of us giving another second round pick, can you ex- retain this certain percentage to get us below this and you'll take this? It'll probably just be like, if we take on one more percent, then you have to give us an extra draft pick, and maybe Edmonton didn't want to do that. Who knows? But um, off the rip, I think this is a great trade for Edmonton. Um, it's pretty even, in my opinion. Um, Nashville's retooling on the fly like motherfuckers, and they completely understand where they're at, whereas Edmonton improved immaculately on defense where they needed to. They don't need any more goal scoring. I was going to get to this point later, but Connor McDavid scored his 50th goal in 61 games. They don't need more offense. They no, need they defense. They don't need any other offensive player. If <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> put Connor McDavid out there with four defensemen, I think he's still hitting 50. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. So, like, you get a defenseman like Matisse Ekholm, who's more, he's not, he has like 18 points in 60 games. But he's solid defensively. You don't need a 70-point defenseman. You need someone who's going to hold it down on the back Dude, he's end. a top four. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. he's a 
He's he's big. He's great for playoffs. He's solid. I think this was amazing with what Edmonton did. I think they got the right defenseman. Did they overpay? Maybe, but they got what they filled a need. And if you're going to want to go far in the playoffs, you're going to be able to. You're going to need to hold it. Be able to hold it down against some of the Devin, top teams. Um, and this works. Imagine being an Oilers fan, and your reaction to this is like. We were like overpaid. Like, have you looked at your fucking team for that? Like, <laughs> yeah. how many fucking years are they like? They scored ten thousand goals this year. Like, wow, they won the Stanley Cup. They're like, oh, they were out in the second round. <laughs> like, how? It's like, oh, this, they're losing nine seven. You're like nine seven. What's <laughs> happening? You're like, oh, if we keep taking centers and wings. You're like, hey, there's other positions on the ice. Someone has to stand between these two sticks and block the puck, and then other guys have to help prevent it from going in it's like i thought it was so funny how stupid edmonton was with drafting because everyone would shit their pants here like oh no they're getting the news you're like who cares they'll ruin this they'll ruin all of it yeah and they have and then i remember when mcdavid got drafted i went to pemberton that year the music festival and next to us was 40 people from edmonton and they were just getting fucked up the whole week and they were awesome and these guys would just get drunk as fuck, barely be able to speak English. And all they would yell at each other was McJesus. And they'd like, hug. they were like, so pumped. And I was like, you guys are going to ruin them. Like, fuck <laughs> you. It's like, he'll be another guy. We have to bury out at center ice. Cause yeah. he just drafted the same player over and over again with the top five pick. And it's like, I'm at the point as a Canadian hockey fan. I used to be like, Oh, if so-and-so makes it, I want any Canadian team to win. I'm at that point. Like, things are divided enough in this country. Let's yeah. all shut the fuck up about all the other dumb shit and just get excited. It's like, well, I'm yeah. not from Edmonton. Who cares how many times you have to see Americans win the game we invented before you're like, I don't care. Toronto, Edmonton, fuck it. Anyone win. And seeing both of those teams really beef up at this point, I'm pumped. I'm not yeah. an Oilers fan. I'm not going to sit here during the season and be like, oh, this is great. But come playoff time, I'm like, yeah. Let's get some respect back on Canada's name. Yeah. Half these American teams win, and you look at the lineup, and you're like, is that 50% Canadians? You're like, yeah. <laughs> it was so, so I love fun- it. It was so funny when, like, uh, Boston, I think it was, I can't remember what game it was, but it might have been, like, against Toronto, and Boston scored a late goal to go up, and the fans were chanting, USA. USA. I think Marshawn scored from Bergeron and another Canadian. <laughs> it was three Canadians who like scored the goal and were in on the goal and they were chanting USA because Boston scored. But meanwhile, it was three Canadians <laughs> who actually scored it and it was so funny Gentlemen, the irony with it. It was hilarious. Keep in mind that's coming from people who live in a country who will look you earnestly in the eye and ask, How does it feel to be on the greatest country on earth? You're like, You ever been to like Italy? They're like, I've never left America. You're like, Well, then you're an expert. <laughs> I've never left this state. You're like, Well, I'm glad I'm listening to you, brother. <laughs> Some moron in Tennessee. You're like, I'm sure it's fine where you are, but Fiji looks nice to you. <laughs> but Hayden let's go to you um this uh trade for Edmonton uh how much does this kind of improve their uh road to like uh a run for the cup well as someone who watches Edmonton kind of 
like very much through a small lens. Uh, I know we've talked about this a lot, just like McDavid being fucking McDavid, but that's why I watch Edmonton. You know, I always want to see like what he fucking does and he's absolutely crazy. So now seeing him with an actual defender that's not named Darnell Nurse uh, is going to be like just just awesome to see because there'll be someone at least that can challenge uh, an offensive player on a different team and maybe set him up to spring him along like on a, a long lead pass and he shoots he scores yeah it's just i'm getting so sick and fucking tired of every time i watch they'll do a any team will do a dump and chase and they'll beat edmonton's defenders whether it's with speed or out muscling them it doesn't matter like they mm-hmm. just they suck and now at least with one person it might just kind of spring it along to be hey like we're defenders we should we should probably be good at their job yeah <laughs> no exactly like tyson berry he has what maybe like close to 50 points this year but how many of those assists were drop passes at the blue line and mcdavid goes, and coast, McDavid to coast? goes coast to coast yeah, yeah. like it doesn't so, fucking matter yeah so it's like <laughs> when you have inconsistencies in goaltending that edmonton does and your defense is a black hole then it's so hard to win even though you have two of the top five best players in the world in McDavid and Dreisaitl. Oh, yeah, of course. So it's, I think getting, so getting Ekholm back there was massive, and Ken Holland that finally did something to help his team. Yep. But, and then uh, they also traded Pugliarvi for uh, fucking... Uh, who, did he, who did he go to? Some... He went to Carolina for... Right. It was It was a... I think it was a cap dump to get Ekholm. Um, yeah, they got a prospect that they can just send to the A. He's not really making it. I think he's a he hasn't even cracked the NHL yet and stuff. But Paul Yarvi was carrying like a three mil cap hit, so they dumped that. Oh my god, yeah, and, and that was I, a that was such a good idea. Yeah, and Paul Yarvi <laughs> needed a change of scenery. Uh, I think it was I think it was perfect for both sides. Uh, we're gonna go to the Canucks because they've they were in action for a bit and their name has been up in smoke. I'm gonna rattle off all the trades and then we'll kind of talk about it and then we'll uh, try and move this train along. Uh, the Canucks won. Johnny, this is one of the massive trades where they didn't move anything big. They traded Riley Stillman for mm-hmm. prospect Josh Bloom. <laughs> I was on Buffalo Twitter. That was a fun space. <laughs> and they so were, you know you're doing well. <laughs> they were like, they were like uh, Canucks fans, what did we get? And they were like, quite possibly the worst defenseman in the league. <laughs> and... Uh, Josh Bloom wasn't quite a top 10 prospect for them, but the fact that we were able to move Stillman to deepen our prospect pool, money. Josh Bloom is like a 6-3 winger with soft hands. He's the captain of his team. He's a point-per-game player in the dub. There's literally nothing more we could have asked for. I would have tagged a draft pick to get rid of Stillman for nothing, and we still got... We kept a draft pick, and we got a good prospect coming back. I think Josh Bloom can progress to be a middle six, bottom six forward, which is beautiful. Who he's he has size, and he can probably score. So I was I was hard 
when we made this trade. <laughs> Whoa. I yeah. mean, so was I when you started talking about a 6'3 winger with soft hands. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> call me. Very lovely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is one I had no idea about any of this. So I just texted Corey. And Corey was like, this is great for us. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is really good. He's like, that guy sucks who we got rid of. He's like, and this guy's got like, legit prospect potential mm-hmm, he's yeah. like this is a he's like this is not a trade like people will be like pumped about he's like but it's good like yeah. you should be happy with this which is why it's not a massive trade but it's a fucking massive trade <laughs> yeah um we also acquired forward vitali kraftstov from the new york rangers in exchange for william lockwood and a seventh rounder uh vitali kraftstov was drafted ninth overall in 2018 Hasn't done anything in the NHL. He's gotten limited playing time in New York. He was really unhappy in New York. It was just, it wasn't working out from the get-go. It was a decline from the start. Um, it, it was just, it just wasn't the right fit for him. He's requested a trade out of New York like three times and finally got his wish granted. I like this trade because I think we're buying low. Um, it's like a low risk, high reward trade. Kraftstoff has top six potential, whereas Lockwood would be a bottom six forward mm. up and down the lineup between the A and the NHL, and a seventh rounder is basically irrelevant. Um, so I think this is a massive one. It's gonna I think it's gonna take some time for Kraftstoff to find his feet in Vancouver because who knows? But he's a sizable winger uh, with top six potential, so I'm happy with it. But do you guys have any uh, insight on that trade? It was decent. Yeah, yeah. Can't really like harp on it too much. A lot of a lot of New York people were like, "That's all we got. Like that's it." So it <laughs> seems like they were wanting more. But again, similar to Patrick Kane, the, New York did not, not a have lot of leverage. leverage. Yeah. Like they were like. Teams are like, you're not getting that much for a guy who doesn't want to be there. We're going to wait for you to waive him, and then we'll pick him up for free. Right? I think it was kind of that situation. and Yeah, almost like what Derek Carr is is going through. Okay. (laughs) Settle down. Settle down. (laughs) That that wound's still fresh. (laughs) And you know what? He's got a lovely home coming to a New Orleans near you. (laughs) Yeah, he's not going to New Orleans. He's going to fucking Carolina, I bet you. I mean, that'd be great, too, because then you'll be like, I'm glad we didn't get him and he'll dunk on your dumb team. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. oh, why don't we shut it right over? <laughs> I'd kiss him with those smoky eyes. If I wasn't fucking so hell. The mascara <laughs> eyes, yeah. Looks like a member of Green Day. Dude, people clown on my boy. I am telling you, Derek Carr is not the perception of Derek Carr is very different than Derek Carr. Derek yeah. Carr's a good player. Yeah, I love Carr. You know, he is. Just needs uh, a good I'm team. Telling you, yes, it's it's. Go look at what he had all that time. Because the only thing people do now is it's like Devonte Adams. And you're like, yeah, okay, we finally gave him some shit. And then the year Devonte Adams came over, Renfro and Waller barely played fucking the whole Nothing. season, and you're like. Oh, well, see, we suck and he's bad. And you're like, dude, we ended the season again with a top 20 defense. Like, this is all he's known. He's had the same OC twice, like for two fucking years, as long as he's had one. It's like, 
Give the guy some stability. The Carr family's curse. His brother had it way worse. Oh, but it's like David Carr, yeah. Yeah, it's like goes to the Texans in two seasons. He's the most sacked player in NFL <laughs> history. Like, well, that's not great for your rookie. Like, that's not right. You'll be like, that guy sucked. You're like, yeah, he got point Palm one up. seconds before somebody was clubbing him <laughs> over the head. <laughs> You know, back when uh, but, back when the, there was no like roughing the passer like there was today, right? <laughs> like he was well, getting, even then he was getting I'm like legit murdered back there. Where yeah, yeah, where then Tom Brady's was, being smacked greasy. on the face mask and getting uh roughing the passer. If you want to see when it was bad, go on YouTube and watch NFL Top 100 of all time, and go look up any cornerback in the 70s who played for the Raiders or the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, and you yeah. will watch a guy the throwing bodies suplex someone on their head. Yeah, literally, <laughs> like just grab them and like bam on the top of their head, just like oh, they're wearing helmets made of styrofoam. You're like, you're fine, get up, <laughs> hand the guy a cigarette, like. <laughs> We've come a long oh, way. Oh my god. Oh, that's so funny. Uh wow, we got sidetracked <laughs> heavy. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> you know who you invited on when you thought this would be organized? <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna go that far when I opened up the can of worms, and I'm like, I'll get like some sort of reaction. <laughs> uh-uh. Johnny's like we're talking about this now. That's right. Oh. Derek Carr jersey immediately thrown off. Yeah, it's just underneath their camera. It's like, I was saving this. Yeah. <laughs> Tearing it off. He's in a tearaway jumpsuit. Yeah. I've instantly got mascara. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, Canucks made another trade. Um, this one was a long awaited trade to happen uh we held luke shen out for trade related reasons we were wondering where he would go would it be boston would it be calgary it lo and behold was the toronto maple leafs he is going back home uh 2012 luke shen is being unlocked once again ready to just fight everything um and it was for a third round pick um a lot of a popular thing to do in Canucks Twitter is to overvalue our players. Um, They were like top five pick for Luke. It's like, no, (laughs) we're not going to get a first round pick. Maybe a Boston Bruins second round pick where it's going to be 59th overall. But we got a third round pick for Luke Shen, which I thought was like kind of just about right. If it was anything higher than a second round pick, I would have been very surprised. Um, But like honestly, I, I would have been surprised with a second round pick. And genuinely, I think a third round pick is very fair. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to Vancouver next year on a cheap deal, mm-hmm. like cheap two year deal for just over a million a year. I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, Luke Shen, I caught on the sports cast I did for BCIT. I called him the king of Vancouver because I genuinely think he was everyone's favorite player on the team. If it's not Pedersen or Hughes or Demko, everyone loved Luke Shen. And I don't think anyone is going to be upset about this trade for a third round pick. Not at all. Yeah. And, good move. and what we were saying about like Tampa's toughness, Toronto having to match that. Well, better than Luke Shen, who hits and fights everything. 
There yeah. you go. Yeah. So um, one of my favorite moments of Luke Shen was when Jamie Ben rubbed um, or uh, basically bullied Quinn Hughes in the corner. I was going to say rubbed. <laughs> rubbed Quinn. <laughs> Dude, when Ben was rubbing Shen in the corner, let me no, tell you. I was going to say. I was going to say when Ben rubbed Quinn off in the corner. (laughs) He wasn't the only one, was he, Jack? (laughs) I was like, wait a second. I calculated. Yeah. (laughs) Guys, we got to end the podcast. (laughs) Someone's Uh, getting rubbed off and it isn't me. (laughs) There's a knock at my door. Uh, no, but then Luke Shen absolutely dominated uh, Jamie Ben, punched his helmet off. Is one of the best moments of Luke Shen, and uh, he's going to be a Canucks legend. So, uh, is so there anything Taylor. like like more iconic too? Like this city, we're so fucking critical of our team, like so critical. We we want the Canucks to like win and be good so bad, but there's this hilarious thing where like. When there's just like a fun role guy who's got heart, the city loves it. Yeah. Like certain guys, like I remember Tyler Mott, people were like, fucking Mott, baby. Because it's just like, he's just like, yeah, is he the best player on the team? Fuck no. But he's like energetic. He makes some sweet plays. He's like, oh, he's kind of giving it. And you're like, we just rally behind that shit. It's like Maxime Lapierre in 2011. I was just going to say like that run. My favorite line to watch was the third line. I loved Lapierre. I thought fucking Rafi Torres was a bull in a china shop. He hit everything that fucking moved. We had Samuelson on that line. Yeah. It was just fucking fun. You know, it's like we like stuff like that. It's like yeah. I also like we like the sexy players, like a BXO who's funny and charming and gets the big points. But like I was more of a hand use guy where I'm like, that dude just shows up with a hard hat on and goes to work, you know? Keith Ballard too. He would hip check yeah, everything. Ballard was the man. And for some yeah. reason, AV was just like, ah, anyways. Yeah. You know, like a good game and have like one bad play. He's like, yeah, he's sitting out for the next 18. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, 100%. Vancouver gets behind those, um, like the players you just described. It's, it's some of our favorite moments about having an average team is sticking to those players filled with heart. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope Shen comes back next year because I think he's perfect for Quinn. Good stay at home yeah. defenseman who will defend him. He'll run through a brick wall for Quinn and he doesn't have any offensive skill really, but he'll defend Quinn and he'll stay at home so that Quinn can fucking buzz around and do whatever he wants. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a good deal. Um, no trade around any Garland, Besser, or JT Miller, but there was heavy, heavy smoke um, with Vancouver and Pittsburgh. Vancouver and a little bit of Carolina today. Uh, I think trade talks are picking up a ton, and I heard that it involves a forward on the Canucks with term, and that involves both, like, all three of Garland, Besser, and Miller. I am praying that it's somehow JT Miller, even though I doubt it, but very interesting. Hayden, what do you got to say about this? I was reading up on it because I thought it was Miller as well. Uh, I saw a report. It was not, in fact, Miller, but Brock Besser. I also read heavy that Heavy talks it, with Pittsburgh. I also read something that it might not be Brock Besser. 
Oh my god. So <laughs> well, was... keep in mind, boys, everyone, when these things start to like catch a little heat, you get all these ding dongs jumping out being like, inside sources told me, and you're like, okay. So... You know, it's like you, you gotta be a little guarded. Because like source, trust everyone, me, bro. everyone who's a Canucks fan wants it to be JT Miller. <laughs> we all are like, <laughs> it's him, right? He's gonna be the hardest one to move. Like yeah. that dude is like yucks you know like johnny, I, I text johnny a boy can dream okay <laughs> of course hey, i'd love it too i texted Corey about the connect stuff just because of this and yeah he was like his last thing is he's like we're still waiting on the big move jt besser and then he said demco to the kings if they were willing it's like but it'd be a Ooh. big swing i was like oh i don't even know that's a thing but i'm like does anyone want JT Miller? It's like, it's, yeah, like kind of. Like his like, remaining salary on this year is sexy. The five yeah. and a half. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it's the eight million dollars he has for the next seven years with the no move clause. It's like at his age, that's impossible to move. But like Stuff. I heard three different reports on from like almost the it may have been the same insider saying Resser, Garland, JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I wish you hadn't said a thing because now I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. But speculative. Um, yeah, like I can understand maybe like a JT Miller trade for a Carolina because maybe it kind of works with their window where they have like a m- middle aged group on the younger side where it's like JT Miller might be able to help, but they're like in a playoff spot, one of the best teams in the league. It wouldn't make sense for Pittsburgh when their window is almost closing to get an aging contract like that, whereas Carolina will be competitive for a long time. So maybe it makes sense to get Miller where that contract might be not be so bad. So that's like what I'm thinking. Um, but again, it's so hard to like see what who they're talking about. I think that it's Brock Besser involved in the Pittsburgh trade. I think it makes the most sense to get a young scorer for three years on a team with Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Raquel, whatever. Even though I heard some things about Raquel maybe coming back, who knows. Um, but it's, again, it's all smoke right now. It's so hard to kind of speculate on what it is, but it's interesting to talk about as a Canucks fan. Definitely. So, um, I hope it's JT, but it won't be. I hope it's fucking Kuzmenko because he's preventing this fucking tank. What the fuck is this guy up with? Now I understand why Taka was benching him all these games. (laughs) He just didn't want him to perform. (laughs) Yeah, like, fuck off. He's watching him in practice like, fuck! This guy's (laughs) fucking good. Aquilini's calling him drunk during the day. You gotta play him tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we'll give him 12 minutes. What are you doing? holy fuck and it's like fine we'll give him five minutes in those five minutes he scores three goals two assists and wins the game in overtime it's like no (laughs) he's like i don't tank it's like (laughs) please do my favorite tank is actual tank i know nothing about whoa careful we're about to veer in some (laughs) geopolitics But yeah, I'm white. (laughs) True. Like Kuzmenko, go back to the bench and eat your bananas and Pepsi like you were earlier, and just don't stop scoring. It's I'm sick of it. 
<laughs> First I mean, with Nashville it, and then St. Louis and then again in Dallas. It's like, fuck off, man. We don't need you tying the game up with 30 seconds left in the third and then winning it in overtime. <laughs> what are you doing, man? But uh, uh, Kuzmenko's becoming that fan favorite that everyone loves. It's just so hard when he's scoring these goals because... I mean, it's hard to say that this season hasn't been successful for him. He's 28 goals in his first year in the NHL. Crazy. Um, only a handful of Canucks have done that, or Russian players coming over for the first first year in the league have done that, scored more than 28, and he's probably on pace for close to 40, I would assume, with 30 games remaining. He's 12 goals away from 40. He's At this point, it seems like he's scoring every second game, so I wouldn't be surprised if he clips that mark, but I'm honestly happy that we have him for the next two years at five and a half. And I think it becomes perfect with our window. And as much as he's fucking over this tank, I still love the so, guy and what he brings. Yeah, of course. Cause, cause you imagine you have a guy over performing, looking like he's going to be this great, like piece moving forward. And you're like, I'm mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, I guess we all want to tank for a very specific reason, but it's ultimately pretty nice to know. You're like, Okay, he looks like he's going to be fucking legit. Like, that's yeah. good. That's what you want to see out of yeah. these guys. Ultimately, it's like, also, even in a shitty season, he's making big goals in big games. You're like, that's also a nice trait to see that he yeah. has. It's like you he's know? performing Ooh. with, like, I don't want to say nobodies, but not the, like, top-tier yeah, players that we have. So it's like, if he's still putting up numbers, imagine what he can do with... It's like, if you can be good on a bad team, can how good can you be on a competent team. And mm-hmm. I also want to give Beauvillier his flowers. He's nearly a point per game since coming over from New York. I uh, don't want to compare, but he has more points than Horvat, same amount of goals. It seems like he's fitting in nicely and finding his groove over here in Vancouver, which is great to see. Um, now that we kind of got the Canucks things over with, we're going to bang out just a couple more of these notes and then get to the uh, UFC portion of this. Um, JT Miller is week to week with a lower body injury, which I think might hurt his trade value, but who knows? Um, McDavid, as we prefaced earlier, he hit 50 goals in 61 games first time in his career. Um, it's He's from another fucking planet. It's simply unbelievable. Uh, Eric Carlson, a lot of trade speculation surrounding him. Uh, he hasn't been addressed to waive his no-move clause from the GM, so it seems like it's moving the direction of they're going to wait till the offseason, which yeah. makes sense. He carries mm-hmm. an $11.5 million cap hit, and that's so hard to move in the middle of the season when there's no news on if the cap's going up, whatever. And in terms of retaining salary on that, retaining 50% of an $11.5 million cap hit for the next three to four years, it's not that sexy so it's like it's a tough situation for san jose so i feel like it's going to be more of an off-season swing um barry trotz is to take over as gm for nashville um next year uh david Poyle announces retirement uh it seems like david Poyle is going off on a high note because he's making this team's future so much fucking better and it's like here barry i'll uh i'll make your job a little bit easier for you coming off but Barry Trotz wanting to get into as a manager doesn't want to come back as a coach he gets his wish on a team he's coached what he's basically known for almost next to Washington um Mm -hmm. quick tidbit uh from you guys what are your thoughts on Barry Trotz 
um, getting the GM role in Nashville. It's pretty I good mean, step Barry, up. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. How do you not like Barry Trotz? He's great. His name's hilarious. He's like a wonderful guy. Like when you find out about him, like we were seeing a piece on him with like a play. It's just like, he's just a good dude and he knows the game. It's like, uh, there's a lot of very fascinating figures in hockey and not all of them are fascinating in a good way. <laughs> You're like, that guy's interesting because he's a piece of shit, I guess. <laughs> like Barry Trotz is someone I'm like, yeah, good for you, man. Like, I think it's good for the organization regardless, right? Yeah. Someone has a relationships, long-time relationships. And exactly. It's not like he's being GM of fucking, like, Florida or some shit, like someone somewhere random. It's like this is a team where he's coached for a long time, and mm-hmm. it, it only makes sense to see him as GM. And I think he's going to do a kick-ass job because he has yep. so much knowledge on this game. Um, Rangers defenseman Keandre Miller. It gets suspended for three games from the Department of Player Safety for spitting on Drew Doughty on uh, when they played on Sunday. Uh, Miller has addressed the situation, apologized to Drew Doughty, and says he didn't mean to do it. Um, I don't know if you've guys seen the video. It kind of looks like he did it, but what are your guys' thoughts? I just don't think he can do that. Um, yeah, I don't know how <laughs> you say call it accidental uh per se yeah because you're like looking at the guy voice crack you're looking at the guy and then just and just right at his face yeah like there's no like like you're moving your head and you spit it's just right at your face yeah and it's also like in the real world if somebody spat on you right like that's assault and the disrespect mm-hmm. of someone coming up to you and spitting in your fucking face. Like, holy that's shit. Like, probably the most disrespectful thing you could do is spit in someone's oh, face. Wild. So it's like, you know, I don't like your doubting, so I'm fine with it. But like, in general, I don't think it's good. Yeah. I so think it's bad. <laughs> I, think, I think a suspension was the correct yeah. way to go. Um, we saw a fucking goalie goal. Linus Olmark, and what other two <laughs> happened against than Vancouver? We, everyone has had a milestone against us. Everyone's yeah. first goal in the NHL has been against Vancouver. Stamco scored his 500th career goal against Vancouver, and it came in a hat trick game where he scored two fucking more goals after that. Canucks always find a way to get in the highlight reels in the most <laughs> wrong way possible. And this is another one. Uh, 2-1, 48 seconds left. Besser tips the puck in. Olmark is like, hmm, yep, I'm doing it. He skies a fucking puck 40 feet in the air and none other than right in the middle of the net. Scores a goal. He quotes it being a dream come true, which doesn't surprise me at all. I think every goalie dreams of scoring a goal. He leads the team through the fist bumps. As a Canucks fan, it sucks, like I said, to be in the highlight reel again, but it's so cool to see goalie goals happen. That's the best. It's it's novel it's novelty shit in sports is the best. And it's yeah. like when a it's like an offensive lineman catching a touchdown and he does the fat guy dance. You just feel good, <laughs> even if it's against your team. You're like, I remember when Donald Penn, uh, the left tackle for the Bucks forever, and then he came to us. 
Like he was like a real tackle. This isn't like when JJ Watt would score a touchdown. You're like, yeah, JJ Watt's big, but he's like shredded. This is just a big, fat, sloppy guy. He's like <laughs> six five, like three sixty. He's lying. He's like, no, I waited in three forty. You're like, fuck you, you waited three forty. <laughs> and then he goes up. He high points his little big fat tippy toes, catches it, and then he's like shaking his whole body. Everyone's losing their mind. You're like, that's awesome. It's yeah. Like when I saw the goalie goal, it's like one. We're at the point we want to lose. So yeah. Like, whatever. And seeing how pumped he was and then like the team swarm him, you're like, dude, that's got to be incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's amazing. And NHL posted one. It was like, you got to love a good goalie goal. And it was like on Instagram, you can do like four or five slides. Canucks were in it twice and there was four, four of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I love that. Love that. Awesome. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, Patrick Marlowe got his number 12 retired. By the San Jose Sharks against their game, um, in their game against uh, Chicago, Joe Thornton was crying up a storm. I mean, as a Sharks fan, Johnny Hayden, you have a soft spot for the Sharks as well. You always have. Um, I've always fucking hated Thornton just because of he's had the Canucks number for his entire career. But I mean. I want someone to look at me the way Thornton looks at Marlowe. Oh, yeah. Like, 100%. It was, you would think that it's Thornton getting his jersey retired, but it's Marlowe's. It was just such a cool thing to see. Dude, Marlowe is a Sharks fan. Like, I got emotional watching that. I mean, it it's funny because it's like the older you get, it feels like these ends of eras as a fan. And like, I loved Patrick Marlowe. I loved him as a character. I thought he was such like a funny, like sweet dude. It's like the Sharks team was full of like wild personalities. Like there's Brent Burns. He's like insane. He lives on like a game farm in Texas. He's got like a Sasquatch beard. There's Joe Thornton look like an old miner with like, you know, it's like, yeah. there's all these crazy characters. And then there was like, just hey Patrick Marlowe, you know, yeah, like a nice yeah. guy. And it's like, he just like, he was just such a solid player for so long. And like, I love that. Like one, I thought it was just a first class, like ceremony. I thought they, they did a really good job with it. You could tell like that city loves that guy. These yeah. guys, like those staple players, what that means to you. It's like for us, right? Like here, like, you know how much it meant to us, like seeing the Sedins or, you know, like Biek, like, Luang, these players, they meant so much. They represent this whole era of hockey fandom for you. And that turning over the old guard, like it brings a lot up, you know? Yeah. I, I thought it was beautiful. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like seeing Big Joe, you're just like, oh my God. Like, will I ever know a love <laughs> that here in life? Yeah. Like, I guess that's how I look at like pizza when I'm drunk. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like I've never loved you more. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Hey, what did you think of it? Yeah, it was it was nice. It was really touching. It was a great ceremony. It it wasn't fucked up at all. And yeah, those those teams like we could talk for hours about this, but obviously we want to keep it civil here. But like those teams were so fun to watch because yeah. it's like Joe Thornton. Like, such a classy guy, too. Mm -hmm. Realize that, like, he was getting old as shit, and he just gave away the, the C to... It's Pavelski. No, it's not Pavelski. Uh, Couture. Yeah. Gave away... And, like, when Couture was on the young and come up, too, it's like, 
now you're seeing him and now it's like Thomas Hurdle. It's like, geez, mm-hmm. Christ, man, this is it's all coming right before my eyes and it's scary. Yeah. Oh yeah. Before you know it, you're like me where I'm talking to you guys. I'm like, you know, now I'm the awesome one. You're like, who the fuck is that? I was like, that's my childhood. You piece of shit. Yeah. 34 like that. What? That couldn't have been that long ago. Yeah. Like, like, Holy <laughs> shit. What happened? <laughs> um, no, definitely. So that was the last point before we go to UFC, but, um, Final in Calgary, Boston. Calgary outshoots Boston fifty-seven to nineteen, but lose four-three in overtime. So with four, with like less than four seconds to go, too. I thought you were gonna say they won. <laughs> a bunch of fucking losers. Okay, I said I want a Canadian team to win, not them. <laughs> they they came back. It was two-one. They went up three-two, and then Boston scores with like a minute left. Yeah, Boston like, shot uh, like two more minutes. shots and scored. Yeah, literally. <laughs> three, Holy three. fuck, that's embarrassing. Overtime. Calgary is my least fucking favorite team in the league. Same. I, 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 I hate them so much. Uh, it's, yeah, because like Toronto, I don't even hate the team at all. I just hate the media surrounding them. Calgary, yeah, you, you're a Canadian. Calgary, you don't live in Toronto. Calgary, I literally just fucking hate the team every part of that team i'm i'm sorry edmonton i have no problem with calgary go fuck yourself <laughs> you've got like one diehard flames listener this was it for him he's like that's it <laughs> this is my 13th reason yeah yeah <laughs> he's just got a scroll he's been writing he's like that's <laughs> um actually i want to say one thing did you guys see brad marchand's all-star comments no, no, I can use my imagination because I've heard Brad Marchand speak and I bet it was fucking stupid. Whatever. So uh, the NHL came out and said that Seattle, Detroit and Edmonton are the three locations in contention for next year's All-Star game. And Marchand commented, can't wait for all the players to boycott that game because no one wants to fucking go there. Um, in a pregame interview, he said he addressed it. He was like, yep, I was just saying what all the players were thinking. I'm not going to go, so it won't be my problem. Basically saying you can't, there's no time to have fun in the sun, like Florida and stuff like that. I personally think the NHL should, once they kind of hit every city or whatever, just stick it like the Pro Bowl. Like we'll have it in Florida every year or Tampa or something where players can at least be on the beach and stuff like that and actually have a weekend to get away. I'm sorry, but Edmonton in February is miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah, Welcome to, what do you make millions of dollars for a living? You're like, it was cold for that weekend. Like, who's this for? You or the fans? Like, also, give it to Florida every year. Florida sucks ass as a state. Fuck that place. You're going to reward them and be like, hey, you guys know how everyone who lives here is a fucking idiot? They're like, uh-huh. It's like, here's every all-star game. Like, no, just because the yeah. players want to go. The league, like. The idea is to spread it around for the different fan bases. I'm a 34-year-old man. You think I watch any version of any kind of all-star Pro Bowl game? Fuck no. I don't care at all. It seems like it's more for, like, kids and, like, it is families and there's events. Yeah, well, then, fuck. Suck it up. Okay, you're not going to go, Marshawn? Boo-hoo. I guess you won't spit on my son. Like, whatever. <laughs> I need you to go. I'm sure plenty of, like, half the team, like, 60% of the pro- those players are Canadians, like, they can't handle Edmonton in February, they'll be fine. Yeah. Like they'll go get drunk 
and skate around in someone's backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry, it's Brad Marchand. You triggered me again. I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Respectful. Uh, Johnny, UFC 285. Yeah. Jones versus Gain. Sierra Gan. Sierra Gan. Uh, mm. Give us, give us the overall overarching um anticipation on this fight like john jones first fight in three years i mean who was he scared of that he took that much time off (laughs) uh well in classic john jones fashion my default answer to that question would be probably the law given his track (laughs) record (laughs) and that three years off he uh you know strangled his wife in front of his children while he was drunk after receiving his hall of fame jacket this is true uh, he's Christ. a horrendous human being. He headbutted the cop car upon being arrested. His child had to flee the room and call the front desk to call the police on him. This is John Jones. Now, this hasn't been talked about in the lead up to this fight yet, which is not surprising at all. Keep in mind, this got announced in the same week, the day after New Year's, video comes out, Dana White slapping his wife at a nightclub drunk, right? Yeah. Two days I thought, later, I thought he slapped her on an airplane. But I believe it was at a nightclub. Okay, my mistake. Hayden, can you hear him? No, I can't. Johnny, your mic, your mic's gone. No, yeah, I think your headphones are dead. Nah, can't hear you. Technical difficulties. You know what? Johnny's fucking headphones died and ruined the entire flow of the podcast. So that's why we don't invite you back onto the show all the time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, so yeah, ultimately, like to me, I'm a little annoyed from the optics because I love this sport. It's my favorite sport, even though like. You know, it's a complicated one. I I, we, I said earlier, like, playoff hockey is the best team sport to watch, and I stand by that. I don't think any sport's better than MMA, because if what you like about playoff hockey is, like, the intensity, and the, it's like you're talking about a sport where guys spend four months studying everything the other guy does, lock a fucking cage, and then fight. There's no one, you don't get to blame anyone else. It's you and that guy. It's your strategy yeah. versus strategy. Your skills versus his skills. And it's like, I've wanted so desperately what happened since ESPN bought into the UFC where it got fucking really big. I was like, thank God, like this is only better for the sport. Get these guys paid better. It'll up the quality of the athletes. And then you have an event unfold where Dana abuses his wife. Two days later, they cut Francis Ngannou. They say it's because he's too difficult. We find out it's because he wanted fighter benefits, medical, all this stuff. And instead, they give John Jones, who's been lying low because he also <laughs> tried to kill his wife, an eight-fight deal. And you're like, you guys, this looks fucking bad. Like, this is hard to take you seriously. You know, like, you have to... John's such a complex figure, and I think it's why... I actually didn't think there was a lot of buzz about this fight until I went and watched, like, The Embedded and looked at some stuff, and the views are pretty high. A lot of comment engagement. So I actually think people are pretty excited to see, especially seeing John at heavyweight. And the complex thing is it's like John Bones Jones is an individual. is a singular person 
eliminate everything you know that he's done. Just look at like what he's done as a fighter. There's almost no argument he's not the greatest like MMA practitioner. Ever. The people he's beaten, the way he's done it, the skill set he has, he's fucking incredible. But he can't get out of his own way. Yeah. He just fucks it all up for himself. And now it's like, this is a move he talked about, God, so long ago about the potential going to heavyweight. We've all always wanted to see it move and longtime fans have followed it. And it just sucks kind of the way it's happened now where it's like, it's not going to be in Ghana. Like, oh, so then it must be Stipe. No, it's not going to be Stipe. Cyril Gaunt. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I think Cyril Gaunt's an actually really fun matchup for Jones in this fight. But there's a few, you know, when the UFC is shady, it's shady. And there's some already little shadiness around this fight. Like, they announced it really late. Cyril Gaon came out and said he fought Taito Avasa like maybe four months ago and he broke his hand. So he hasn't trained up until they called him a month ago. I don't wow. think he's lost. He's a really, like, interesting cat. He's the opposite of John Joe. He's, like, one of the most delightful people in the sport. He's, like, this terrifying French kickboxer. He's huge. He's as big as Francis. So he's 6'5", 265, built like a Greek god. He's got, like, insane cardio, really talented striker, not very great elsewhere. And he's just, like, really friendly and soft-spoken and nice. No controversy. Like, so it's really funny where it's, like, the characters you get in the sport. It was, like, Connor and... Khabib where it's like here's the guy who's the bigger celebrity but he's like kind of a bad guy yeah <laughs> so like, who's his rival and it's like I don't know this devout Muslim from the mountain somewhere you're like what <laughs> <laughs> but like John's already like real John's just been like oh it's really cool I get to fight the goat da, da, da. John Jones like last night like late night tweeting where he's like I just watched Cyril's uh, fight against so-and-so. Like, he sucks. I don't think he's got it in him. And he's, like, doing his, like, mind games already. I'm like, oh, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. No, it's – I'm really interested to see. So um, how do you kind of see this fight playing out? Um, and what does, like, each fighter have? Um, like, how can they get an edge in this fight? Uh, man, I don't really – dive too deep like the broken hand stuff Cyril saying he's not trained a lot in the fight game people say things a lot too your dad could tell you from boxing like it was a famous tactic you pretend you weren't trained whatever right like there's a lot of mental gymnastics to fighting if we were just taking it these two guys everyone's totally healthy trained properly what do I think I think the reality is is like on the feet you're looking at a relative mirror match and I mean that in like a really literal sense you haven't seen with Jones before. Like Jones before that, so he's been off for three years, right? Prior to that, when he was active, he fought Dominic Reyes and Tiago Santos. And most people thought he lost, well, a lot of people thought he lost both of those. Those guys were kickboxers like John. They weren't kickboxers like Cyril. They're not as technically skilled as Cyril is. They don't have as diverse of striking. They have more flashy stuff. Cyril does a lot of the stuff John does just as well. John's best game, if you watch him, like in all of his, like the Daniel Cormier fights, you watch his big fights. 
the first thing you'll notice is like his kicking game, it's constant. John always like the way a boxer throws a jab, which John jabs really well, but his kicks are everything. He does this teep kick, the stabbing, he stabs his toes into your thigh or your gut over and over again. It pushes you backwards and it always lets him assess the range, lets him set up other stuff. Well, Cyril Gaon does that as well as John. Oh, and okay. the, the mid kick, like the body kick, and then the low kicks as well. Cyril does both of those all the time. The biggest dynamic in this fight, like as far as an edge goes that you're going to see, is for Cyril Gaon, if he comes in the fight totally healthy, how would you game plan it? What's his avenue to victory? John is incredibly well-conditioned, we've seen. Uh, the one thing I would knock John on is this new, older iteration of John. He tends to like fight. He, he does like the opposite of what GSP did, where GSP would be like, oh, I'm better at you than this. I'll just beat you that way. John's like, oh, you think you're better than me as a kickboxer? I'll kickbox you. So if he does that and you're Cyril, that's the trap. You set him up, you let him get comfortable, think he has your timing, and then you just kind of spring on him. I would assume Cyril's game plan is going to be a lot of volume, like a lot of flashy volume popping in and out of the pocket. I don't know if realistically he could finish John. No one has. John's got like an iron chin. The scarier side of it, where I'm leaning towards even with the layoff of picking John, I don't know if John's still going to wrestle much. He hasn't shown a lot of it as late, but he's an incredible wrestler when he wants to. And... When you're watching this fight, the two biggest areas concerned for Cyril you, you want to keep your eyes on is when they're in complete open space in the octagon, John might faint his way in and shoot a blast double. He's got a very good blast double. Francis got Cyril with that. Francis is a way worse wrestler. And the other big one is both these guys like to clinch up because they're kickboxers, right? So they like to grab, clinch, throw knees inside and elbows. John's trips from the clinch are really, really good. So I actually think you you might see John stand with him for a bit and then just start crashing into him. Okay. I think if John puts Cyril on his back, I don't think it goes super long from that point. Okay. All right. Hayden, did you have anything you kind of wanted to, you were curious about with this uh, upcoming fight? I was going to say, Johnny, do you see anyone getting knocked out? But I guess if you're saying that, uh, you know, John has an iron chin, it's pretty unlikely, so to say. I mean, unless there's some sort of like big connection sort of thing, because everyone likes to see someone getting knocked the fuck out. And I don't know about you guys, but I'd like to see a wife beater get knocked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> well, John gets to play the same game Floyd did, right? Like when you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. It's like Jake Paul who just fought, right? Like everyone, not everyone, I guess children, but like most people hate Jake Paul. Well, so why are, you watching, why are you watching him fight? Because all you're hoping for is you're like, holy shit, I hope Tyron Woodley knocks your dumb ass out. Uh, Tommy Fury, whoever. And with John, yeah, there's part of you that like, we wanted in Ganu because we're like, well, look, I don't care how iron your fucking chin is, Francis and Ganu will, can knock any human on Earth. Yeah. You can go freeze frame knockouts in the UFC. Francis is clipping guys with literally like his pinky knuckle and this, like not flush punches and knocking them fully unconscious. Jeez. That's his. So you go watch the Jarzinho Rosenstrike fight. He hits him with these two knuckles 
And Jarzinho's even leaning correctly. It just grazes his chin. He's instantly flash knockout, unconscious. Now he eats another punch, fully unconscious. (laughs) (laughs) That's the cost to do him this way. We're not the shaking hands game. But uh, there could be a knockout in the sense of like Cyril... I think in his last three fights, he knocked out Ty Tuivas in his last fight, who also has an iron chin. Dude's like a big, tough Maori. Uh, uh, I think he's from, yeah, he's Aboriginal Australian. He's a gangster. But like, no, he's super like thick headed. Knocked him out, not like just put volume on him and that knocked him out. He knocked out Derek Lewis, which is like everyone who knocks out Derek Lewis for the most part, just like, He's fat and they kick him in the body till he gets annoyed and then he just lets them punch him till he gives up. You're not going to see that out of John. You could see, which people think is possible, is uh, in the Reyes fight and the Tiago Santos fights, John's last two, he got clipped really bad by each of those guys once, where it clearly kind of hurt. Like he had to back off and rest on his laurels. You're, you're fighting a 265 pound like world champion kickboxer. If that guy, like if if Cyril Gon thinks he 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 hurts Jones, he's going to go to finish him. So it could happen. I honestly think you'd be more likely to see Jones finish Cyril on the ground if there's a finish in the fight, like a submission or a TKO kind of thing. His ground and pound with the elbows is like really brutal. Like you, John again. Like there's two eras of John. There's like the youngest champion in ufc history like you know seven fight run there john where it was like you know he could wrestle anybody i mean when he fought daniel cormier and out wrestled a multiple time olympian you go okay that's pretty good yeah it's not bad (laughs) yeah and then his his ground and pound used to be very very menacing but the thing with guys who wrestled a lot the older they get they actually start to do it less because their knees are just shot yeah you know, so we don't really know. And I wonder with John if maybe part of the reason he's really gotten away from grappling as much is it's just easier to strike. And he's still good enough that it's winning him fights. Yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating either way. Anytime there's a heavyweight title fight and you get even as controversial and shitty as they may be, someone is like big as John Jones, it'll be interesting. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely. Uh, what other fight on this card uh, really catches your eye? Uh, I'll tell you this. If you're kind of casual, this card's like genuinely stacked. They sort of do this new strategy where they're like making all the fight nights almost unwatchable by just pillaging all the best fights and putting them on like stacked pay-per-views. This one's got a ton for you. Like the co-main is a title fight. It probably... Maybe it surprises you. Realistically, it probably won't be that great of a fight. Valentina Shevchenko at this point is so utterly dominant that it's like, I love Alexa Grasso, who she's fighting. I don't think she stands a shot in hell of like winning that fight. So it's hard to get excited for fights like that where you're yeah. really certain. You're like, at best, she like wins a round. Because <laughs> even the like only way path to victory she has, you're like, it's not going to. Like, her best thing is her striking, and she's a worse striker than Valentina. So you're like, all right, that's probably it, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of an L. (laughs) Uh, The big ones for me on this, 
The other three on the main card, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Third fight on the main card. So we'll go from Jones, Valentina. You've got uh, Shavkat Rachmanov fighting Jeff Neal. Now, Shavkat Rachmanov is 16-0 and with 16 finishes, eight knockouts, eight submissions, all in the first round. This guy is going to scare you. Watch this fight. This guy is so... I'm, when I tell you, like an 80s Russian villain, and you watch this guy standing there, you'll know what I mean. He looks like pretty generic, but fucking terrifying. Everything he does in the cage is with like absolute vicious intent. He's methodical, like he plans out, he sets things up really beautifully, and he's fighting a guy who's like a really legit power puncher. He'll probably fuck this dude up pretty good, but this is way overdue. Like, we've needed this guy to fight someone in the top seven to one range so he can just get speed run to the title. Because this guy's like, I picked this guy a year and a half ago to be like the champ. I would have thought even sooner. He just hasn't fought as often. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Mateus Gamrot stepped in last minute to fight this guy, uh, Jalen Turner. His nickname's the Tarantula. That's going to be wild. Jalen yeah. Turner fights at 155 pounds. He's six foot four. Jeez. I think oh my like, God. Yeah, I think he's 195. He cuts like 40 plus pounds to make weight. He's wild and he's insanely violent. The guy he's fighting is one of these like Eastern block freak grapplers who never get tired, kind of like a Khabib style guy. So it's a really fascinating matchup of like, one of the longest, like most dangerous strikers in that division versus this like insane energizer bunny of grappling. So you're like, what happens if he shoots and gets hit with the knee? Or what if like, there's a lot of that. And then the opening fight on the main card, his name's uh, Bo Nickel. People are like fired up for this guy. He's had three fights and he's the opening fight on a UFC pay-per-view main card. He's a three professional fight. He's a four-time NCAA All-American Wrestling Champion. His name is Bo Nickel. He's a minus 2,000 for his first UFC debut. Oh, my uh, God. Holy. Yeah. So this guy, a lot the, the UFC often misses out on true blue chip prospects. We're talking Olympic. Like, this dude's ceiling was so, so high. And he decided straight out of his, like, pro college career to go into like MMA and he's only fought three times and I watched all three of them and he beat the flying fuck out of these dudes I think in three fights he's fought two minutes and ten seconds something crazy like that Jesus yeah. and they're giving him like a UFC fighter but this is for sure like they gave him a guy whose takedown defense is like 24% like the yeah, yeah. <laughs> gave so him an easy one yeah exactly and then if you go down through the prelims, like there's so many like uh, Cody Garbrandt's on this card, long time the old bantamweight champ. He's trying to get back an old form. You got Ian Gary, who's kind of like the new Conor McGregor. He's a young Irish guy. He talks wild shit. He's like Conor before the coke, where he's still funny. Where like Conor's just kind of now. This guy's still got like a little like you know he's got like bits and jokes yeah. prepared and you know certain lines and that. uh the one other fight i'd circle only because it's going to be hilarious and kind of crazy there's the south african guy his name is Drickus duplassis 
Oh, this main dude, team. Dude, this guy's <laughs> built like a, like an 80s action star. Like, he looks roided to the gill. Like, doesn't even look human. He's just, his neck muscles are like this. <laughs> like, this insanely jacked South African dude. And he's fighting Derek Brunson, who's like, long time UFC middleweight. Really, like, kind of a great gatekeeper. Like, deserves to be top 10, top 5, but can't seem to, like, get past that. So this is a real, like, the UFC testing what this Drickus Duplessis guys has. And the funny thing about this guy is he's bricked up. He looks, like, incredible. But his fighting style is so awkward and strange. So that fight, just to watch, because it's going to look so absurd, is going to be awesome. The circle. Because that'll be just fun. Because even if you've never heard of them, you'll be like, what in the fuck is that guy doing? (laughs) (laughs) So muscular and giant. And then he tries to do, like, really technical things. But he's so clumsy. He, like, stumbles all the time. And he'll, like, throw a combo and then like fall and like shoulder <laughs> it's like it's wild but it, it, it's a really really good paper like the ufc definitely went like hard on this one so how long does johnny Sousa last against rachmanov <laughs> oh god in the bedroom <laughs> In the octagon, surprisingly less. Uh, <laughs> fuck, dude. This guy, oh my god, Jeff. Questions like that are funny because it's like, I, I'd almost equally as likely die of a heart attack if someone watched him. Then I'm having to do it. I think I'd just like fall to the ground and shit myself, and he'd pity me so much. I'm like, that, that was embarrassing. He's a uh, you, you know Kamzat Chemayev, the guy everyone was all pumped yeah. about? Yeah. Think like that, but he doesn't talk. <laughs> like, Hamza's like, I kill everybody. Ooh, he's like on the mic, and this guy's just like, hey, who do you want to fight next? And he like, you know, where is he from? Kazakhstan? He's from, you know, somewhere over there. And they'll translate, and it's just like, yeah, I don't care. Whoever. <laughs> okay. like, the and you're like, well, that was scary. It's like, <laughs> like i kill everybody i'm a wolf or whatever and you're like this guy is not so then that yeah. guy you're like that guy's an actual serial killer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real demons in the game <laughs> i don't care oh god <laughs> please exactly. care a little bit about something the drag off where if he dies he dies Just like i don't like this guy i don't know if there's a lot of emotions happening. Yeah. <laughs> um McGregor is returning. First of all, Jones or um, how do you pronounce? Gone. Gone. Jones. Jones. Jones or Gane? Who do you got in this fight? You got to go Jones. Sadly, I would love for Cyril Gone. Like I'll be hoping for that. But realistically, when this fight was announced, I think John Jones was like a plus one sixty. I got him at plus one twenty. I mean that's absurd the fact that i'm like getting plus but when it opened now he's like a minus probably 170 185 yeah but you have to because the thing is all john has to do is decide to wrestle and that's be pretty shocking if cyril can avoid like going to the ground with jones let alone surviving down there okay 
All right. Well, I'll look. Uh, I'll look to that to see what um what Gon does. But um, McGregor, uh, is returning. He is coaching the Ultimate Fighter with Michael Chandler starting May thirtieth. And at the end of every Ultimate Fighter series, the two coaches fight. So McGregor is confirmed to get back into the octagon. Uh, it's always exciting to see McGregor get back in. So Johnny, we weren't quite incorrect you're still fucking talking about the irishman <laughs> um but um obviously not necessarily for the same context as we usually does um what are your whole what's your opinion on mcgregor and chandler coming in as coaches for the ultimate fighter what's how do you feel about this whole shtick oh man from a marketing standpoint the ufc side really smart connor uh to be honest, I'm shocked he's as marketable as he still is, given how he's performed as of late. Uh, I think a big chunk of the UFC fan base is way less critical of McGregor than they are with other fighters. Uh, you know, this is a guy you're talking about at this point. Like, fuck. A Poirier fight. The only win he's had in for a while was old-ass Cerrone at 170. Like, It was just a bad look. He hasn't his life's just like crazy outside of this. So I think they look at it and it's kind of like killing a few birds with one stone where you go, if you ask a coach, he has to get serious. The UFC's trying to get the tough show like ratings way back up. Conor McGregor on cable for free. People are going to watch it. They gave him Michael Chandler, who's maybe one of the most exciting pound for pound fighters in the whole sport. Like he doesn't win all the time, but every fight he's in is crazy. And it's a winnable fight for Connor at the end of this. He's way bigger than this guy. They're going to fight at 170. Connor's fought there four times. Chandler's never fought there. Chandler has T Rex arms. Connor McGregor, very lanky, hits very hard. Chandler's been knocked out probably seven or eight times in his career. So the only risk for the UFC, which is worst case scenario, is Michael Chandler is so explosive and dangerous himself. If this culminates into him knocking McGregor out at the end of it, that is certainly not what they're hoping. Yeah. Their mm-hmm. goal is like, we're going to get an insane, because Conor McGregor is going to come into the show crazy. Like, think about what happened. He can't fight right away like he wanted because he took so many steroids to do the Roadhouse remake that he had to go into the testing pool. So this was like a way to, like, okay, get him involved. And, like, the first clip that's come out of, like, the tough stuff is him absolutely shit-faced leaving the tough house. So you're like, what's going on? Like, is he not yeah. taking it seriously? So, like, he's going to be crazy. Michael Chandler, if you're not super familiar with him, his shit is he's kind of like an old, an, a Ned Flanders type. Like, oh, shucks. He's like, <laughs> you know, you go to his Instagram, it's all, like, motivational quotes at 3 a.m. And then, like, a blog like photo of him working out or like you know him eating like breakfast with his adopted children being like every day is a blessing and then conor mcgregor's like handfuls of cocaine on a yacht uploading videos of like someone who's not his wife giving him you know a blow just like whoa <laughs> again the ufc and its choices and it's like Michael Chandler kind of said recently if conor mcgregor like brings up anything about his family like that's not gonna be cool and you're like Dude, <laughs> you know who you're, you know who he is, right? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> He's gonna talk to you about the weather. 
Did you see the Khabib press conference? It wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go well. And did you see the aftermath after he got choked out? Sitting there telling the guy's dad's a terrorist and his wife lives in a carpet. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Hey, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Connor. <laughs> but this guy, like, again, he's a figure like Jones. But like, if these guys could have just stayed away from cocaine, genuinely, I watched this. Your dad will tell you. Like, I remember watching Tyson as a little kid, and my dad liked Mike Tyson. As I got older, I fucking hated Mike Tyson. I was a Lennox Lewis guy. I thought Mike Tyson was a dickhead. Now as I'm like much older and I went back and watched it, Tyson was like, you know, classic and whatever. Not a great guy also. But with Connor and John Jones, you're like, if you guys could have just said, you know what, for the next 12 years, I'm just going to focus on being the greatest fighter ever and I'm going to party my ass off when I'm done. It'd be such a different story, right? But, you know, that Floyd fight genuinely... I think Connor hasn't accepted the fact he can't ever be who he was before that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That level of wealth and then think yeah. that and pretend for a few months to be poor again and go train. Like you can't. Yeah. Like, like my himself said, right. It's hard to wake up and go running early from a bed filled with satin sheets. Like, yeah, you know it's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Cause like when he went up against like Poirier, like, Poirier has, he still has something to like work for. He doesn't, McGregor's like, I'm still getting paid at the end of the day, whether I win or lose. Right. Like I got, um, I got this whiskey company that I'm, that's doing really successful. I got paid a shit ton of money from fighting Floyd. I'm set for my grandkids, grandkids, grandkids are set from the money I've made. Like he doesn't really have anything to push forward. Right. No. Where, whereas like everyone he's fought, like Poirier is like, you're saying that shit about me where it's like, I'm, you're playing a dangerous game with saying this shit. And obviously he's playing it up for promotion to sell the fight, but still like his opponents are going to take that to heart. And they're like, you're saying the shit about me where I still have something to work for where you don't. So like, you're going to get your shit rocked and you're going to get humbled real quick. And I, so didn't have to elaborate that much, but it's like, yeah, like McGregor can never be who he once was because he's his wealth is quintupled since mm-hmm. fighting Floyd, right? So And these guys lose sight of the fact like once you're the guy, like to that degree, there's a target on you. You yeah. don't think Tim Poirier put in the single most applied training camp of his life. And you're Conor McGregor, like, you're out of your fucking mind. He knows what's at stake. He beats you. You're Conor McGregor. You're going to want a rematch because you have an ego. That's payday and payday for Dustin. He wins both of them. What did Conor want? Conor wanted to come back and fight Dustin again. Literally. Yeah. He was like, that's fight. And Dustin was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, go win a fight. We'll talk about it, right? Like, yeah. he's now made into a status where it's like, you... That's all well and good, but it's like, you know, for Connor to come back, you go, he comes back and he loses to Michael Chan. You're like, what do you even do with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ranked in the top 10 anymore and you're supposed to be the biggest draw in the sport. It's a bad yeah. look. Yeah, you know? it, is. it is a bad look. So heavily because it's like they can't really tell him what to do. Yeah. 
He's so independently wealthy. He doesn't need to fight for money. He says, and he's right when he says, I'm not fighting because I need money. He's right. He does not. He doesn't. He owns companies that make way more than he probably makes per fight. Yeah. But it's like, well, if then if you're not doing it, you're fighting to get your legacy back or whatever, you're not doing it probably the right way. You know, my McGregor has been, he has kept the same head coach, John Kavanaugh, and trained out of KSG Ireland the entire time. And he has barely developed or grown. He's a fighter from his peak. And I think that's a huge indictment on him and on his coach. And he's a loyal guy, and God bless you. But if you were smart and you really want to keep your coach, you should be bringing in different people to help elevate your game. And he hasn't. Yeah. His game regressed. He's become a worse fighter, a simpler fighter. You haven't seen him get into a proper karate stance like he used to all the time and fight at measured range. Now it's all flat-footed boxing technique, kind of base-level kickboxing. It's just, you know, at least I'll give John Jones credit. Like, as far as his all-around game, he hasn't, like, fallen. Like, he's not getting noticeably worse. It's just the competition's getting noticeably better for him. With Connor, he's actually, like, from a skills perspective, he is kind of getting worse. Yeah. You know? But it'll be exciting. Like you said, anytime Conor McGregor's happening, people are going to pay attention. Yeah. Because a lot of people just watch to see what he says, not even fighting. But, no, yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm really excited for this upcoming card this weekend and the whole McGregor Ultimate Fighter series. I'm, it's it's going to be something to tune into for sure. Oh yeah. Um, we've been running for long, Johnny. But do you still have time to do? Uh, do you still want to do this game, or do you want to call it? I I'm gonna personally have to tap out, guys. I uh, also, you're. A I have puss. to. I usually go to bed at nine thirty. So. Want one? Yeah, shut the fuck up, gay. You don't get up at five thirty. You don't know Thank my schedule. Five <laughs> I'll see you getting up at eleven, okay, Mr. Lafitte. No, I'm kidding. You, you probably get up around schedule. like you get up probably like what round to eight. Tomorrow I have to get up at six thirty. Yeah, okay. And then what about the next day? He's like, anyways, that's our episode. Uh... <laughs> uh, tomorrow I have to get up at eight thirty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But uh, no, Johnny. Thanks again for uh, coming on. This was a ton, a uh, ton of fun, ton of fun. Um, I want to get you back on for the Usman fight too. I think that would be a really good time. Or the next McGregor fight, we'll uh, we'll do. That. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was fun, guys. Thank you so much. For sure. Um, Hayden, where can the people find you? On Instagram and Twitter at hbart13. Follow me on Instagram, Jevin.Lefave, Twitter, Jevin Lefave. Find everything for the show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at leftsideheavy underscore. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you guys next time. Peace.